As his second term begins, we chat with Governor Brad Little about growth, Idaho's reputation, housing, property tax, transit, and friction in government. I do not want to discourage people from uh, running for county commissioner or city council. I don't want them to think, well, no matter what we do, the legislature is going to override it. It's Idaho Governor Brad Little, next on the Boise Dev Podcast. This is the Boise Dev Podcast. Here's your host, Don Day. Governor Little, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's been four years since we last uh, did this, so I appreciate you taking the time. We're right in the middle of the legislative session. Always, uh, you know, just such a fun time in this building. Um, So many people around. I think some people maybe don't think it's so fun, but always a lot of activity. And um, I wanted to ask you about some of the things that are happening right now and some broader questions. And for our audience, I want to start with property tax. Um, You focused a lot on tax relief in the last couple of years, particularly on the income side. A lot of Idahoans have seen checks in the mail with your signature on it. But on the property tax side, there's quite a few things sort of working their way through right now. Um, People trying to figure out how do we help homeowners with relief. Do you have an approach that you think makes particular sense? Well, I I do have a fair uh, knowledge base about property taxes. The one thing I know is that uh, we have thousands of taxing districts in Idaho, and it's different in many of them you know some of them are all residential of a certain size some of them are high-end residential uh, some of them are resort where nobody gets the homeowner's exemption some of them have lots of apartments uh, which i think none of the proposals are helping and helping the people that have to rent uh, rent some of them have a industrial and a, a commercial base a retail base some of them have agriculture so what's the solution for one taxing district or one population in some instances makes it worse in another one so usually what happens and this is human nature like-minded legislators from like areas get together and say we've found the solution and then as i always say and then they do the spreadsheet and legislators look at their district and says that doesn't help me or doesn't help my district. What works in Eagle doesn't work in Segal. And yeah. Exactly. So uh, we're we're at that stage. I would prefer we do like we did in public defense, where we all 44 counties, and we needed to do this for a variety of reasons. One of them is to have fairness in our public defense system. The state will just pick up public defense. So every every Idahoan in all 44 counties got, and that was only $25 million tax release. So what I asked the legislature and brought up in my state of the state and budget message, here's $120 million. In essence, it's a tax shift. It's shifting it from your property, from your sales tax and income tax to lowering your property tax. Almost everybody pays sales tax. Most people pay income tax. A smaller subset pay property tax, and a smaller subset yet pay residential. Now, as my old friend Jim Weatherby said, property taxes are the most hated tax, even though in Idaho, if you look at all the property taxes, our property taxes 
are not as high as they are in a lot of other states, but it's most visible. Uh, and, and because we've been victims of our own success, and we've had this incredible explosion of residential property because everybody wants to move to Idaho and, and it's a great place to get a job, to raise a family, there is an imbalance. And there's been a shift from other property taxpayers to residential property taxpayers. So I'm sure part of that's going to be addressed. I know the circuit breaker, which again is taking income tax and sales tax and letting some and paying property tax for our older citizens or our disabled citizens. Uh, but I, I've got some other battles like uh, teacher pay and our launch program that I'm focused on. Uh, I'm just hopeful that that the property tax proposal is fair, simple, predictable, and competitive. You talk about the shift, and, and there was 2016 legislation that really kind of changed the way that these formulas work without getting deep into the weeds for people. We've done stories on it, um, but has moved the bur burden from those commercial, industrial, agricultural uses more to homeowners. Initially, that probably mostly was going to affect Boise, maybe Meridian, but as property values all over the state have risen, it is impacting more and more homeowners, and it's not just a state of Ada problem. It's it's Idaho Falls, it's Coeur d'Alene, it's, it's everywhere. Do you think that that's something that should be revisited in this? You, you kind of bring it up well, there. We, we, well, we did it a little bit. You were LG in, then. In 389, mm -hmm. and uh, we didn't have it indexed. Then we put the index in, then we froze the index, and, and which is where we are now. It's, there's still a homeowner's yep. exemption. And at one time, it was only on the, uh, uh, originally, I've been around long enough that it wasn't even on the lot, it was just on the home. Mm -hmm. Then we put it on the home and the lot. And so we've done a lot with that, but it is an exemption. It's, uh, but then again, there's exemptions uh, in centrally accessed property and railroad properties and utility properties in uh, how we calculate. There's a couple bills up here this year on storage sheds and mm -hmm. yep. uh, something else so the most for the most part there's only two things you can do on property taxes you can lower the spending which is up to your city county and school district or whatever or you Cemetery can shift district, it to somebody yeah. else either another property taxpayer or an income tax and a sales tax and everybody needs to recognize that uh, but I, I as i said it should be fair simple predictable and competitive it's never good tax policy to, you know, property values gone up, so do this. We, we just had a, I would love to find something that the state should do and the state just pick that up. It would lower the rate for everybody and then go forward. But so in your idea of public safety, would that be so the Napa Police Department, the Boise Police Department we, would still be part of the local municipality, but the state would fund that? Well, Is that the thinking? We did that during COVID, the biggest property tax uh, break ever. We took money out of the money we're getting from the federal government, gave it to all the local entities to cover pay public safety. And you could do that. You could do it for schools, which is probably the biggest driver, but not all schools have bonds. Uh, you know, some school districts have done a good job of taking care of their schools. Some have done less. And so, uh, you know, the school districts are all different. Most school districts have some bonded indebtedness. A few don't. 
And so if you fix the problem for the ones that do, uh, how fair is that? Yeah, the ones fairness that issue. Yeah. Anyway. The other piece of property taxes is housing. And we've seen so many more people move to this state. We've seen that growth rate really increase. We talked four years ago, we kind of just talked around the edges about housing, but we've definitely seen demand and supply get out a little bit of out of, out of balance. We've seen maybe some correction in some areas of the state recently, but those values have gone up because people want to live here. And you talk about that. It's a business friendly, good place to live. We've got mountains, you know, the, the, the typical governor spiel, right, about how great the state is. Um, people are moving here and it's causing it to become unaffordable for, for people who have maybe long been here. Do you have approaches that you think could be implemented to maybe help that? Or do you even think that's a role for the government? Well, it, the role of government is to make sure that uh, an, uh, uh, an entity, a city or a county, uh, can increase housing. Uh, sewer, water, uh, matter of fact, we've got several uh, uh, budget proposals that will help cities with sewer, water, roads, a lot of things with roads, because otherwise they're on your property taxes or whatever fee you pay for sewer or water. It's for homeowners, it's really, you know, I pay my property taxes, but I also got a big water bill or a big sewer bill, or there's a transportation component in your property taxes. So if we can help in roads, water, sewer, broadband, some of those other things, I, I know the market will respond and build more housing. Uh, that's that's going to be a given. Uh, but, and it'll take us a while to get caught up, but I totally agree with you. You know, my goal, my number one goal is that our kids choose to stay here. And if they can't afford a house, you know, I want them to have a good job. I want to have a regulatory uh, atmosphere to where, um, you know, they could either as an independent business person or working for somebody else, uh, they'd have upward mobility, but affording a house is critical. We put $50 million into it uh, to the Idaho uh, Housing Authority. And in fact, they exceeded what they thought their, the number of housing units they were gonna be able to do. And we'll be able to do more of that, uh, but we are literally victims of our own success. Uh, all our kids want to stay here, and other people want to move in here. Perhaps if some of our surrounding states wouldn't be so hostile to business, there wouldn't be so many people moving here. Do you think it's ultimately just, no matter what you do, if you do everything right, if the state government does everything right, the county does everything right, cities do everything right, whatever right may be, that some of those other factors are going to continue to press on that that housing affordability? I, I do, I do. It's and just kind of going to happen no I, matter what? You know, after the last recession, uh, matter of fact, we had an employee uh, just it was helping us, just got out of high school, and we had the real estate collapse in 11, 2011. I remember his dad helped him with just a little money, and uh, they bought a kind of fixer-upper, and they put a lot of sweat equity in it, and uh, they made uh, five times their investment. Uh, you know, putting sweat equity in it. That, we, I don't see that happening for a while. We don't, we, we didn't have, <clears throat> because we've changed banking uh, rules and regulations at the federal level, there's not gonna be uh, a lot more housing. But I do believe that a slowdown in the economy 
in this valley, we've got quite a few people that that speculated on houses. You know, they made money on one house, so they bought another house, bought another house. If they don't think the value is going to keep going up, I believe some of those will come onto the market and lower it. It's not going to make it back to where you can get out of high school and college and make the down payment to buy a house. But if you get some of those speculative housing into the market and out of the speculation, I think that'll help us. You know, in 2017, we did a story about the Boise Center picking up a um, a fairly large convention. It was actually the largest convention that they had had, and, and it was a group of doctors. They moved here, moved the convention here because the state of North Carolina had essentially passed a bill saying, here's who can use which bathroom, which gender, and, and how all that works. And, and the doctor said, we're out. We're going to go to Boise. That sounds fun. Now we're starting to see this, this state's political makeup shift a little bit, the electorate shift a little bit, the, the representatives in this building change. Do you see some of the policies or laws around some of those social issues, things like gender affirming care, library content, bathroom policies like in the North Carolina issue, hurting Idaho's ability to attract and retain business? Well, I, I mean, I think some of them may do a little bit of that, but there's some bills this year, uh, you know, in some of the uh, pro-life, pro-choice discussion. Uh, I, I know that there's, uh, and I haven't, I don't know the details of it, but I think some of the most controversial parts of them may get, and I hope they do get uh, addressed, you know, I, uh, you know, the life of the mother, uh, you know, if you're pro-life, you're for both lives, the life sure. of the mother and also the life of the child. Uh, and I I don't think it's going to be the issue it was uh, back then, but it is something to be aware of. But I also understand people's concerns about, you know, about, you know, their the safety of their children in school and about who has access to the bathrooms. And I think there is a, uh, I guarantee it won't make everybody happy. Sure. But I think there's some policies that could be implemented. A lot of these are implemented today by school districts just because they're doing the right thing for these kids and keeping all the kids safe. Okay. We've seen some, speaking of the legislature, in the last few years, we actually talked about this this last time, we've some, seen some, I would call it call and response between cities, counties, and the state house. Cities will pass something, the city of Meridian or the city of Boise for sure, will pass something and then lo and behold, it'll be in the legislature the next year. We talked four years ago, it was, it was Uber, right? The city of Boise wanted to tamp down on Uber and the legislature came in and said, you can't do that. And there was an, you know, secondary effects. You talk about state control versus federal control. Do you, do you feel like the, the control should always be at the state and that the municipalities should you know be reined in? The federal government should be. I mean, how does that how does that balance work well, in an era where different politicians and generally, different generally, I, 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 I think that that a, a democratic republic works best if people can have some say. Yeah. On the opposition side of it, there is value in having some uniformity. You know, Ada County is a classic. You know. Uh, most people don't know where the line is between Star, Eagle, One Meridian, city. and Boise. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, some of the things you want to do, what side of the street am I on? 
that some uniformity there, but I do not want to discourage people from uh, running for county commissioner or city council. I don't want them to think, well, no matter what we do, the legislature is going to override it. So that's always a balancing act. Uh, and, and, you know, in Congress, uh, you know, I'm a governor. We're, I'm a federalist from the get-go. Uh, you guys, I can handle everything, but occasionally the federal government, more occasionally than I, <laughs> I am confident they should, uh, that intervenes. But I think we at the state level need to be cognizant of our complaints against the federal government are launched by our brethren one layer below us at us, but there is some good argument about some uniformity in state laws. So every issue is a little different. Do you think that the arguments over things like, I mean, there's been a, a bill percolating around here for the state, the, the streets around the state house, bringing them under state control and people in ACHD in the city are like, well, that's because they don't want us to change the directions on 5th and 6th Street. Whether or not that's true or not, it's, it's always a little hard to tell, but it, it would preclude that. You think that's healthy for the state to try and say, well, we don't want the city we happen to be located in to do certain things. Do you think that that works? Well, generally, we're a, uh, the largest employer mm -hmm. and, you know, ingress and egress not only for our state employees, but for people who want to get to this building to, have, to share their views as is their right, that we don't want to facilitate a block development or two block development and sacrifice access. I have not weighed in, I, I frankly think, uh, but I do remember when Governor Kim Thorne closed off State Street after 9-11. And I remember a lot of my friends just being absolutely uh, livid about uh, that the governor did that. Uh, of course, that, that was probably an emergency time, but uh, that didn't last very long. But I, uh, we all ought to do a better job. Rather than write a bill, we ought to sit down and have the discussion. And Ada County is unique. We're the only county in the United States where all the roads, you've got a countywide highway district. And there's lots of arguments for it and against it, uh, but I'm a little aware of what the arguments were when they put it in. <laughs> and it goes back to what we just said. Who knows where the line is between Star, Eagle, CUNA, Meridian, and Boise? It's also less government, right? Each city yeah. doesn't have to have its own set of roads and departments and plows and that kind of stuff. That's right. You brought up State Street. Um, I know you make that commute from the State House down State Street out to Emmett. Um, traffic challenges, it's something that we hear a lot about. Oh, the traffic's getting so much worse. You Four o'clock in the morning, it's not bad. <laughs> well, and I spent 10 months in California, so I don't think the Treasure Valley traffic is that bad personally. Um, but it is, there's definitely some more, and it's not just here. It's Blue Lakes and Twin Falls. It's Idaho Falls. It's, it's the I-90 corridor. There's often been a lot of talk and, and for years about how does Idaho fund transit. Do you think that Idaho should be like Utah and have a tracks type system? Or do you think that the priority should continue to be on lane miles, on roads for cars? Uh, no, we should, how does that work? we should not preclude it at all. Uh, and I'm confident someday there will be something. Uh, the, the current proposal to bring Amtrak to Boise uh, I've asked my uh, uh, Boise leaders, I said, do you know how many overpasses you're going to have to put around Boise? 
I, I remember one time uh, one of the rail entities loaded us up on a Sunday night at the depot and we went outside of town and we had Eagle Road blocked and I could see cars backed up for miles both way and I go I don't know that that's uh, now if Amtrak comes into outside of Boise or CUNA, uh, but if you come into town, it is, it's probably got a B in front of it, probably a billion dollars worth of overpasses and underpasses to bring, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't start maybe setting aside some right away. Setting, but you can imagine at, at where the railroad goes through out on Eagle Road, how much real estate it's going to take to have either an underpass or an overpass over the top of it. And if there, there's nothing wrong with identifying that and starting to do things, but the same amount of money would build, you know, probably build an elevated highway on State Street. Mm -hmm. Do you do you see those out-of-the-box solutions making sense? Trying to do things like elevated highways, obviously we've got the Highway 16 corridor extension and some of those things that are big big infrastructure projects i mean what what how do you fix it if, well, if you're if you're you're already governor but let's say you're king and you could say you know what traffic's going to get worse here's how i fix there's it there's a big what difference do do? between king and yeah, governor yeah no i realize i realize <laughs> but if you got to decide by fiat well, i mean how would you do it well a it? you got to start planning for it yeah uh, you, and and that's when you start planning for it that's every aspect of planning buying right away where do you put where do you put more, you know, uh, dense development? Uh, the things that Boise Dev writes about all the time, uh, the argument about uh, density and the argument about, but you, you know, you get, need to get the community and all, all get together and you'll never sing Kumbaya, but you'll get closer than if you just do it by edict. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you talk about Pole Line Road and Twin Falls, uh, you know, we're talking about another uh, uh, bridge over the top of the Snake River Canyon, yeah. which will be a huge project, but it's probably one of the solutions to the to the Magic Valley problem. What we do up at Coeur d'Alene, uh, where the inner where the highway goes north from uh, Coeur d'Alene, we we've got problems all over the state, but we did dedicate part of our internet sales tax, the Wayfair money, to doing these big projects going forward. I thought it was going to be plenty of money, but it's not now. I can tell you, uh, you know, some of what we're paying for right away right now is consuming way too more, way too much of that money. Uh, but you've got a, you know, we've got a system where the state highway board says these are the projects that we need to do, and these are the big projects we need to do out in the future, and local communities need to have a voice in it. Uh, I I can see. You know, it might be a dedicated lane mile for uh, buses or high occup occupation vehicles. Uh, that might be one of the issues. When I chaired Governor Otter's transportation task force in 2011, we talked about toll roads. And I remember a lot of experts say, you don't quite have enough traffic in Idaho for toll roads. We may have enough traffic now for some of these places. Um, you know, maybe a bypass around the Treasure Valley uh, that comes out on the other side of Eisman Road uh, out of Black's Creek. Uh, those are some of the things that we've talked about. So, you know, I hope smart people get together and people say, let's kind of take the blinders off and be visionary for 30 years in the future. But it's hard 
to get elected officials to spend money today that they don't get a return on way after they're retired from politics. That's one of the problems in this world. Madison told me I got 15 to 20 minutes, we're at 23, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with, with this. Um, Governor Phil Batt died this weekend, born and died on the same day, his birthday, Idaho Day. Fascinating. How will you remember Governor Batt? Well, he was really a mentor of mine. I mean, he, he, he tried to get me to run for uh, the legislature 10 or 15 years before I ever did. I, I remember saying, well, well, Governor, I've got the farm to run and the ranch to run. He says, I hired one of my neighbors to run my ranch. I did better than I did when I was there. He was trying to convince me. I said, well, the kids are still home. Uh, but I mean, he did some of the, we had a report on our state employee compensation. When Phil Bat was in the legislature, he recognized we had a problem. And the plan that we use today is a ancestor of the plan Phil Bat thought was appropriate. Boring stuff, boring good governance stuff. Our Percy Fund, the most solvent, defined benefit statewide plan in the United States, Phil Bat fixed that when he was governor. He changed the governance of it. Besides what he did in human rights, and, and of course, I like to say we've, all we elected officials say, we're gonna push back on the government. Phil Batt pushed back and got the agreement, uh, the, the agreement with the Department of Energy. And it was interesting, Friday, I was at the Department of Energy making a very strong case for why they need to do something different. You're talking about the nuclear waste? Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, it was the spent, nuclear waste spent fuel yeah. issue. and. I was sad that I didn't get to tell my good friend Phil Bat that I was still working on it. At the same time, there were all these stories about OI and Ella leave Idaho and they won't do anything. We've got incredible progress going out there, but Idaho has leverage that no other state does because of one of the things, and he almost got recalled over that issue. Uh, it, there was a statewide initiative, but Phil Bat did it because the right thing, just like uh, doing workers' comp for agricultural workers. Governor Brad Little, I'm Governor Phil Batt. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Todd.